This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Well, once again, thank you for joining us for the City Sides podcast this week. And as usual, we're going to be giving our time up to one of my podcasters by the name of The Truth Barista. And of course, The Truth Barista is Dr. Jay Christensen. Jay has been doing The Truth Barista for about four or five years, and it's a imaginary coffee house in the middle of, well, anywhere, USA. And he and I, I being the amazing Larry, talk about biblical concepts and issues that are facing our world, the issues that come into play every day in the news. We address them by biblical values and principles. So the Truth Barista comes up with a good cup of truth for our daily life. So once again, Dr. Jay Christensen, The Truth Barista. It is a production of High Beam Ministry. Go to highbeamministry.com for more information. So thanks again for joining us for this week's edition of the City Sides Podcast. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder... Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. Welcome to the Airzatz Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, once again, we're in that anointed booth, and I'm so excited. You know why I'm excited, Truth Barista? Why are you excited, sir? Well, I am excited because the last two times we were sitting here, we were talking about a theme that I am learning so much about And I think, from my experience, a lot of Christians need to hear about who Jesus was and is compared to the law. Because it seems like those two entities are just so confusing to a lot of folks. This has been one of my main areas of study, gosh, for years, for a couple of decades now, three decades or more. Because when I first grew up as a Christian, I learned about communion. I learned about 
baptism and all the churchy things. But for some reason, there was something inside of me that said, where did these things come from? What, what did these things mean? And I learned early on that we need to go back into the context, the historical context, the academic context, what the rabbis understood during mm-hmm. the, the time. I should actually say the sages understood, the scribes and the Pharisees understood at the time. We need to understand these things in their context and then be skillful at bringing them forward into our day so that we can properly understand them. The issue that we often confront as Christians is, number one, they're not educated on a lot of this stuff. And partly because many pastors aren't educated in what I'm about to to present. Number two, because of anti-Semitism in the early church, they came up with a thing called replacement theology that basically said, because of the Jews' disobedience, he destroyed Israel, did away with them, did away with the law, and now he's doing something completely new in Jesus. Well, as you said in our last study, Jesus didn't bring something new to the table. He took what was already on the table and he presented it in a new way. That's the point. And suddenly in our day, thank God, Christians are realizing that there's a continuity from Jesus' day forward. The the Jews were not grafted into the church. The Gentile Christians, the Gentile followers of Jesus, are grafted into the messianic stream of Judaism from the first century. So in order to understand who we are now, we have to go back and understand our roots. And then it makes sense. And that's why I study this stuff. Well, you know, there was a revelation in my life a number of years ago when a messianic person said to me, As a Gentile, he said, you know, you Gentiles weren't given any covenants or anything like that. It's all to the Jews. And I said, oh, you're nuts. And then he brought me to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And it says there that the new covenant is given to Israel and to Judah. No mention of the nations or Gentiles. And so that word grafted is important because we do get grafted in. But the initial contract, if I can say it that way, was to Israel, God's people. You know, it's kind of funny, and Christians get insulted when you say things like this, but you're right. The new covenant is something God has brought forth for Israel and will bring all of Israel into when Jesus returns. However, in the meantime, it was revealed that it was a new covenant that was open to the Gentiles who would come into the commonwealth of Israel. So in a sense, the new covenant has been growing amongst the Gentiles. And now in the end, we're seeing more and more Jews beginning to embrace the new covenant in Jesus, which tells me we're getting close to the end because the new covenant will find its fulfillment when all Israel will be saved, as Paul says in Romans chapter 11. The other thing, Truth Barista, you taught me a while back is that, you know, God doesn't all of a sudden wake up one day and go, aha, I think I should have some new kind of covenant happening here. I mean, it was all planned from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, that all of this was his plan. Nothing was kind of added on as he went, right? 
Right. God had no plan B. It yeah. was always plan A. Correct. And there's nothing going to stop his plan A from Genesis 1-1 to the very last verse in Revelation. He's going to make it happen. Why? Because he's the sovereign God. He creates the universe. And what? Like anybody's going to stop him? You know, it's like he didn't see anything coming. <laughs> so It is a little anyway. funny. Well, let's recap a little bit, just, just in case we can just kind of set the pace for where we have been and where we're going to go. Okay, the first thing that we talked about is Christians shouldn't be afraid of this thing called the law. They've been taught to be afraid, kind of like we've been taught to be afraid of COVID and, you know, any risk in our lives kind of a thing. We shouldn't be afraid of this thing called the law. In fact, if we take away the scary word, the law, and call it what it really is, the Torah, we understand what a blessing it is. Torah is all-encompassing. The laws and commands are part of the Torah. There are civil laws, ritual laws, guidelines, boundaries. Basically, the Torah is the terms of the covenant that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai. In other words, the king said, you're my people now. I'm your king. These are the laws, my Torah, my guidelines, my boundaries of the kingdom you will be living in. Another way of putting it is God is the husband, Israel is his bride, and the Torah are the wedding vows. This is what God will do. This is what Israel will do. Another way of putting it is God is a rabbi who sat down on Mount Sinai, drew his disciples close to him at the foot of the mountain, and then he taught them and trained them how to live godly lives. That is a really good way of thinking about what the Torah is. Nothing to be afraid of, everything to learn about. So that's really where I try to start with people. The next thing I try to tell people is you have to remember that when Jesus came, he was teaching Jewish brothers and sisters who were already living the Torah. They knew what this thing is. They learned it from their from birth. <laughs> the Torah affected them from the very moment of birth to the last day that they lived. But didn't those people, God's people that were living by Torah, didn't they make Torah basically a god? I mean, it seemed almost as if when Isaiah says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, didn't the the Torah become sort of a replacement for God rather than a guideline to serve and honor him? I wouldn't put it that way. The Torah was God's given rules. Over time, it was taught that God gave additional rules apart from the written Torah He gave them an oral Torah. These are commands he told Moses that Moses passed to Joshua. Joshua passed to the leaders. The leaders passed to the official Sanhedrin, which was the 70-member ruling council, so to speak, of Israel by Jesus' day. And these particular laws were laws that encompassed or surrounded the original Torah. So, for example, the Torah says, if you dig a hole, you have to make sure nobody falls into it. And so what the rabbis would do is they say, well, you know, if you just built a fence around that hole, then not only would you not violate falling into the hole or transgressing it, but if you don't violate the fence, you certainly won't violate the law. So what happened is the fences around the Torah laws became more important than the Torah law itself. Case in point, the Sabbath says, rest from your work. 
Well, then the question is, how do we do that? Which is a great question, okay? But the rabbis, the sages would say, well, what constitutes work? And they said, well, in building the tabernacle, that took work. So let's find out everything that was done to build the tabernacle, and that will be things we can't do on the Sabbath, such as you can't grind grain, you can't thresh grain, you can't sew, you can't weave, you can't cut, you can't... and See, those then became a fence around the Torah law of the Sabbath. So it didn't become an idol per se, but it certainly got in the way of the original Torah law. And Jesus even went so far as saying, you know something, guys, these fences that you're erecting around this Torah actually violates that Torah law. Why? Because it hurts human need. If a person needs medical attention, they need it now. You should not prohibit them from going to a doctor because, in your view, the doctor has to take a day off on the Sabbath. No, human life is more important. So therefore, eating the disciples in the grain field story or going to a doctor, which is what Jesus talked about healing on the Sabbath, human needs supersedes the law in many cases. Didn't he use a donkey as an example? You're saying doctor, but he said... Whose donkey gets stuck or something? Aren't you supposed to go help him? The Torah clearly says if your donkey is falling down under its load or if it falls into a pit, you're obligated to take it out of the pit regardless of what day it is. Mm -hmm. And then he turns around and goes, if you're going to treat an animal like that, why would you put off a, a human being who's in need, who is of much greater worth than an animal? So really, Jesus got to the heart of the matter, and that's what's important. So. Jesus is teaching about the Torah to people who understood the Torah and how it should be used in people's lives. Jesus could do this because he was perfectly Torah obedient. He's the walking Torah of God. He is the walking will of God. The Torah expresses God's will for us, things we should do, things we shouldn't do. So to say that Jesus did away with the law means Jesus did away with God's will and wait a minute, Jesus said, I only came to do my father's will. So obviously that now contradicts itself. So now you're really basically stuck between two things. Either Jesus came to do God's will, which means he's perfectly Torah observant, or he did away with the Torah, so he did away with God's will. Which is it? Well, obviously it's the first one. Jesus came to do his father's will. So what does a rabbi do? A rabbi teaches his disciples to be like him. What's God's goal for us? to learn his will and to do it. Where do we find it? In his word. You know, I just realized, Truth Barista, as you're talking and explaining this, that our God was so gracious that he sent a human representative, Jesus, to show us really the Torah. I mean, it's like our walking instructor. It's better than Google or YouTube, which everyone uses now. I mean, he was showing us how to live by the Torah because he was the Torah. I mean, I just never equated that before. I always thought that he only came to go to the cross, which he did. But in the meantime, he was actually walking Torah and helping people understand God's will. Exactly. I want to give you an illustration. I took, started taking serious piano lessons when I was in fourth grade. And my teacher would give me a piece of music and I would look at the music and I would start plunking through the notes and kind of figuring it out as I went along. I learned fastest when she would put down the music and she would play it and I would go, aha, that's how I need to do it. 
And I actually learned the music faster and better by watching her and listening to her as she went through the music. God is the exact same way. I can read his word and try to figure out how to do it, or I can listen to the Holy Spirit and watch Jesus do it as recorded in the Gospels, and suddenly it's like, oh, now I'm light years ahead of where I would be if I were just trying to figure God's walk out by myself. And so to me, that's how I really learn best is by example, and Jesus was the example. Now let me take that one step further. I think you should hold that thought for just a moment, because I think we learn by example, right? Well, what's our example here? We're in a coffee (laughs) house. Everybody drinking coffee. There we go. We've got to have a new fresh cup of coffee. We'll be right back with your further thoughts. Truth is getting harder to find today, but there's no shortage of it here on the Truth Barista podcast. Spread the word. We deal with the uncompromised truth in every podcast. We are a high beam ministry production. The Truth Barista podcast, set in the imaginary Erzatz coffee shop next to Big Brain University, the Truth Barista podcast tackles a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from controversy, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Jave the Truth Barista and Amazing Larry brew up highly caffeinated talk times. We are two wild and crazy guys. Grab a cup of joe, plop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista Podcast, a production of High Beam Ministry, highbeamministry.com. Once again, thanks for joining us for the City Sites Podcast this week. And as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, we've been talking with Dr. Jay Christensen. We've actually been playing his podcast known as The Truth Barista. And uh, I think you'll be amazed at some of the things that we do talk about. Of course, this series that I'm playing in lieu of my interviews, my normal interviews, we've been talking about Jesus and the law. It's one of those uh, issues that so often is misunderstood by Christians and the church today. So let's rejoin the conversation with Dr. Jay Christensen and the Truth Barista. Thank you. I get teaching so much here. I just completely space out. I I apologize. Just gives you a little bit of boost, right, for the next (laughs) section of Great Thought. That's right. Highly caffeinated teaching here. Okay. (laughs) So we learn by example. So this is what Jesus did. He came to teach his people the laws of the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus first showed up, his first words are, behold, the kingdom of God is near. He was there to introduce God's kingdom to the world in a way that they had never seen before. It was not a kingdom outside of them. It's a kingdom within them. Now, the problem is, what happens if you violate the laws of the kingdom? You get punished, right? Right. Now, according to Paul in Romans, what is the wages of sin? Death. Okay. So if you were to break the king's law, you are now subject to what? Execution by guillotine. So, now, if God, if God actually enforced that particular principle, none of us would survive. Correct. However, he said... I can't do that because I'd have to get rid of all my children. I need to let somebody else take the punishment for breaking the law. Then my people can come to me, ask forgiveness, and say, that has already taken my punishment. You can't execute your punishment twice. That's called a double jeopardy. This is why Jesus died. And you and I have talked about this before. Jesus came to show us how to live God's way 
and he died in case we failed to do it God's way. Do you see it? Yeah, most people hear this stuff, but they don't necessarily, you know, take it to heart, right? So when it says that Jesus nailed this to the cross, he's nailing the punishment for breaking the law to the cross. So this is what it means for us. We are to live the best we can, and when we stumble, there is forgiveness in Jesus, and we get up and we keep going. Like it says in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we, can, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On what basis? Jesus' death. Now, does a person have to accept that as a personal kind of contract between God and and the person themselves? Or is it sort of a blanket kind of thing? If I can butt in, that's a personal aspect of the new covenant. Every covenant has punishments and blessings for disobedience and obedience. But what's really fascinating on every covenant, there is a renewal clause. If you break it, there are things you can do to renew and restart the covenant. So, you know, like in a marriage, if if a wife or a husband cheats on the other one, if they come back and confess their sins and say they're sorry and recommit themselves to the marriage covenant, the marriage covenant can continue. Same thing with every other covenant, whether it's a, a judicial covenant, whether it's a civil covenant or between a king and his subjects, all of those things. So this is what we're looking at with the new covenant. Jesus' blood is the sealer of the covenant. It's the thing that takes the punishment for when the covenant is broken. And under the new covenant, he gives us a heart that wants to do it. He gives us a Holy Spirit to teach us how to do it. And he gives us the implanted Torah to guide us how to live God's way. I guess what you're saying is you're explaining the nuts and bolts of how God relates to us. But as a person, don't I have to do something here? I mean, I don't have to do anything for salvation, but don't I have to accept the nuts and bolts here? I mean, what is my part in this? Okay. Well, look at the Israelites, okay? God proposes to them to be their king at Mount Sinai. The people have to respond and say, yes, we will do this. What they are doing is they are swearing allegiance to their new king. God killed Pharaoh and his army, releasing the Hebrews. So the Hebrews are now a free people. But to complete the process, the king says to them, will you swear allegiance to me? And they say at Mount Sinai, yes, we will. God says, now here's the laws of the land. Are you going to live by them? And they said, yes, we will. And then they went through this process where they shed the blood of animals. They made a sacrifice. They splashed blood on the altar representing God and on the people. They sprinkled it, and that sealed the covenant. To be saved simply means you are pledging allegiance to God, pure and simple. You are pledging allegiance to him. You need to do it with the full recognition that by pledging allegiance, you're pledging allegiance to him and the laws of his kingdom. How's that? I love it. I just love it. Well, I think it's clear, and I think that's what we're here to do, Truth Barista, in our conversation, is to make things clear. Right. Right. So what I would like to do in our study as we go through this, I want to go through Matthew 5 through 7 with you, okay. starting actually Matthew 5, 17, mm-hmm. and going through chapter 7 and talk about 
this whole thing of what does Jesus mean about abolishing and fulfilling? I mean, these first four verses are really, really important, and they set the tone for everything that is to follow. Now, isn't this called something, what do you sermon? Mean? I mean, wasn't this the sermon of Jesus? This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Now, you want a little background on this? Well, yeah, because I think that's what it's normally called, isn't it? The Sermon on the Mount? This is part of what they call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me show you how, why it's so important to understand context. Remember when I mentioned that back at Mount Sinai, when God drew the Israelites to him and said, I'm your king, you're my subjects, I'm your bridegroom, you're my bride, I'm your rabbi, you're my disciples, okay? And the sages said, oh, yeah, God came down on Mount Sinai, wrapped himself in a prayer shawl, kind of pictorial language, the clouds that were there, and then he began to teach them his ways. Let me read Matthew 1, 5, 1, and 2. When he saw the crowds, meaning Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. What? This is exact language for what happened at Mount Sinai. So somebody with Jewish eyes looking at this is going, he's about to teach them the Torah again, because it's the exact same setup as Mount Sinai. I've never noticed that before. Yeah. See, this is like looking at scripture through Jewish eyes. Okay, then he gives them the Beatitudes, which are basically characteristics of living in God's kingdom. If you're going to live in God's kingdom, these are the characteristics you need to have to be poor in spirit, those who are mourning. And, you know, we can go through a teaching on this someday. What does it mean to be mourning? But obviously humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. These are all characteristics of those who are within the kingdom. Okay. Then he moves on and he says, believers are salt and light. In other words, by doing these things, by having these characteristics behind verses that lead in, and by following what's about to come, the laws of the kingdom as Jesus teaches them, you will be salt and light. You will be a preservative for your culture. You will be a revelation of God within that culture. You would be an influencer. So we have just unpacked, in a very brief way, the setup for Matthew chapter 5. All right? So now we come to Matthew 17 through 20. We're going to read this, and we're going to keep coming back to this over and over again, starting at verse 17. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, I just want to pause there briefly. If he's not there to destroy the law or the prophets, that means... If you say he's destroyed and done away with the law, then he's also done away with the prophets. If you say he's kept the prophets, then he must be keeping the law. You can't divorce the two Hmm. because the law shows you how you're to walk. And the prophets told you they either rebuked you or commended you, depending how well Israel walked according to those laws. And if they weren't important, that is the prophets, why did he quote so often from them? Exactly. Okay. So getting back, don't think, don't assume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, I got to stop here again. What's the problem? People were assuming that Jesus would abolish the Torah and the prophets. Okay, so there's an issue here. Somebody is accusing him or there's been an accusation that he's going to do away with the Torah and the prophets. Okay, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. 
Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law, the Torah, until all things are accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we've now arrived at a very foundational and cornerstone issue. And you and me, Larry, we can't rush through this. We're going to have to walk through this slowly because there is so much packed into these four verses. We're going to have to pull it out little bit by little bit. But the problem that we have when we teach this stuff is that when you start talking about the law, it puts Christians on edge. Not that really many Christians have studied it, mind you. Most Christians have formed their ideas about the law by accepting, without question, what the replacement theology pastors and seminaries have taught. Jesus did away with it. The Jews are done away with. Israel is done away with. And it's just the Gentile church. And praise God, Jesus is coming back to Rome. Hallelujah. Right? (laughs) he's not the Jewish Messiah anymore. He's the Gentile King. You know, that's the replacement theology garbage. Yet it's something that has been taught repeatedly in the church for really centuries. Oh, since, since the early, uh, probably the 200s AD. And, and when you remove the Jewishness of the gospel, you really are gutting the gospel because that's the culture Jesus chose. He was a Jew. He's coming back as a Jew. You really can't gut anything out of it because it's no, not can't. Gentile. It's Jewish. Right. So this leaves us with two questions that I think we can end with today. And, you know, we got to get back to work. But here are the two questions to set up for next week. Did Jesus do away with the Torah? We've talked some about that, but I want to revisit that. And number two, if not, what place does the Torah have in the disciples' life? How do you do it? Remember, these are some of those questions we raised earlier. So I think that's something that we can begin with next week. So do you have any final questions or observations? Well, I just want you to, again, reiterate the fact that Torah was the way that we were given to keep God's laws. That's, that's really all it is. It's how to keep God's laws, which is the laws of the kingdom. It's how we relate to one another, correct? Right. Uh, the word Torah is related to the word yara, which means to shoot an arrow toward a target. And it's related to the word moreh, which means to teach. So the Torah, the Sinai covenant laws, are not just a list of do's and don'ts. The Jewish viewpoint is this, and I've got this written in the the margin of my Bible. It's from Dr. Brad Young. He has a great book called Jesus, the Jewish Theologian. This is what he writes. Torah aims people at God's will. Torah teaches them how to walk a straight path, that is, to live right with God or righteousness. If properly taught and obeyed, it's a guide for successful living. That's the viewpoint we need to have. Amazing, Larry. God saved Israel from Egypt, and then he gave Israel instructions how to live, which is the Torah. God expected Israel to learn those terms and live them in loving obedience as the way to demonstrate the relationship they just got. The same thing is is marriage. Don't you have a relationship with your girlfriend first? 
And then what do you do? You go to the altar and you get the vows. You make the vows, the terms of the relationship. Same thing. Okay, so the king freed the Israelites from Egypt. They have a relationship with them. They go to Mount Sinai and they set the relationship in place with the terms of the relationship. There you go. Well, the same thing is you move into the new covenant. What do you get? You get the terms of the new covenant showing us how to live successfully. Once again, I thank Dr. Jay Christensen and the Truth Barista for joining us today for the City Sites podcast this week. We'll be rejoining Dr. Jay next week for our final installment of Jesus and the Law. So again, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 